Um, we've been talking the last few weeks um, about really in so many ways what, um, what God wants to do with us and through us in terms of giving us purpose and, and how we and many times look at ourselves as unlikely, as unqualified and all of those different things that we put in our heads and that we let the enemy put in our head about, uh, about how maybe we're not the right person for this or for that. But uh, as we've called this series, Yes, You, meaning you are one that, that God wants to use even though you may think you're not. You may think you're not qualified. You may think that things in your past have disqualified you. And we're actually going to get into that just a little bit today. But we see throughout Scripture, we see stories of people where God has, has done great things through people who were small, who were the outsider, who were the least likely to succeed, if you will. The, and, and today we're going to look at somebody who is behind the scenes or would be known as someone who is behind the scenes, at least in their day. But, you know, God has a way of raising people up. God has a way of raising us up um, even in, in ways that maybe no other way we would be um, had it not been for him, and maybe it even not had been through failures in our life. And maybe that's you. Maybe you look at yourself as somebody who's in the background. Um, maybe you're a background kind of person. Maybe even what you do and, and the kind of person you are, you, you maybe just serve people in the background, maybe from an administrative standpoint. Um, maybe you're really good at those things, and that's awesome because those are the kinds of people, those roles are crucial. Though many times we can look at ourselves, if we're that kind of person, as somebody that's in the background, that it's not that glamorous and, and all of that. But I'm telling you, it's, it's a crucial thing and incredibly important. Thinking about football, as we are in the middle of the playoffs here, you know, um, most people can name some really famous quarterbacks. Um, you know, you can name Joe Montana, Brett Favre, Troy Aikman, uh, Tom Brady, but few people could tell you the offensive line for those quarterbacks. There's a few weird people that might be able to do that, that are really into, into football and all that, but few people could tell you who the offensive line that was there blocking for those quarterbacks that made them great, that while they were throwing all of those touchdowns, somebody had to be blocking for them because if there wasn't someone up there blocking, they would be on their back most of the time, as we know well in Cleveland. Um, unfortunately, you could have the greatest quarterback in the world, um, if the offensive line is not great, you're going to have a problem. And, and you hear it all the time when you get to the, the championship games and, and you look at that and, you, and they'll say, like, boy, that game was really won in the trenches. Though you're not going to remember the names of those people that were there necessarily, but they had to block to make those memorable plays happen. And so remember that those huge guys on the line, when you're watching the games maybe this afternoon, ultimately those guys are the ones that are making the championships possible. And those people that are considered to be in the background, of which I would say they kind of are, um, the individuals who, who do background things, of which it may be some of you, maybe you, you coordinate things really well, maybe you facilitate a lot of the projects in an organization and, and, and you're like the person that's taking the notes, those are the things that are super crucial for things to get done and, and, and for really important things to happen. And there was somebody that was that kind of a person in scripture, in the background, uh, that we now know their name uh, fairly well. But at the time, they were crucial to people uh, like Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And his name was uh, Mark or John Mark. And we know his name now because of the gospel of Mark. But Mark was a close acquaintance of uh, Peter and Paul 
and Barnabas, and, and we're going to look at that story because he was a behind-the-scenes kind of person. He was a behind-the-scenes kind of person. He was probably the scribe for Peter, meaning he wrote down everything for Peter as he was kind of dictating it. That was kind of a normal thing uh, back then. In fact, the Gospel of Mark, many people believe it's the earliest gospel that was written. Many believe it was written around 50 AD, uh, about you know, 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. So really early, and most people believe that uh, the Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's account of, you know, his life with Jesus, but written down by Mark. Now, an interesting thing about Mark is uh, you may know his name now, but he was not one of the 12. That would be one that you would get wrong in like a trivia or something like that. If you say, well, I know at least four of the for the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, nope, only two of them, uh, to be quite honest, were, uh, were part of the 12. But many believe um, that he was such a crucial part of the behind the scenes, and, and you see kind of the way that God used him uh, to write this gospel. It's an incredible thing. And when we first meet Mark, you've probably read the passage where you first meet him and blow right over it. Um, because it's really wrapped up in kind of a famous story of Peter, and it's at the beginning of the book of Acts in chapter 12, which is where we're going to start today. So if you do have your Bibles or you uh, got your Bible app, uh, you can turn to Acts chapter 12. You can follow along in the notes uh, that are on the Bible app as well if you want to follow along there with me. So we're in Acts chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 12, and this is right after Peter escapes uh, from the prison uh, by an angel. If you've not read the story, I would encourage you to go back uh, and, and read the verses before this uh, with the story because it's a really cool story, but it's not what we're digging into right this second. This is right after this. Peter has this miraculous escape uh, from the prison, and he goes to a house church, and there is where we actually see Mark because this is Mark's mother. This is her house, and so he heads there, beginning in verse 12, says this, when this had, drawn, uh, had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. So we see that he's there, where many people had gathered and were praying. So Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and the servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. So this house church, these people are there praying for Peter to get released from prison, and he does, and they're like, you're out of your mind, let's keep praying. And there's a whole other story wrapped up in that, of course. Um, but we see that Mark was there. John Mark was there, and his family and the church, they're there praying. And Peter's deliverance of, of his imprisonment, he sees this happen. Now, granted, after a few more verses, if you read the rest of it, you see that they finally let Peter in and realize that their prayers had, had been answered and were working and all of those things. Um, but Mark's young at this time, and he's experiencing these things. He's seeing these things, and he's seeing God work, and he's seeing the power of prayer right in, in front of him. And it had to have a significant impact on him, and we know it did because of a verse that we're going to read here in just a minute. But let me ask you this, have there been times in your life, have there been times in your life when you've seen God move, you've seen God work in, in just an amazing way, and it inspired you, and it impacted you, and maybe it's not something that you were even involved with, you were just sitting and you saw it from a distance, or maybe you were up close, it didn't necessarily involve you, but you saw it, and it inspired you, and it's part of your story. Maybe you haven't really thought about it until this point, but that's part of your story. 
Maybe it's at a camp or at a retreat that you went to when you were younger. Um, maybe it was a really impactful church service that no one else it really impacted in a powerful way, but you remember it. Boy, that service, God hit me right there. You know, hit me right between the eyes. And that was a part of God getting a hold of you and moving you in a powerful way. Maybe get, God did something amazing through a problem or pain and God showed up. Those are two ways that God speaks. Two of God's voices are problems and pain. He speaks to us through those. And, and we can even do something about that when those problems or those, that pain shows up. We can do something about it or we can ignore it. And if you're a believer, I'd be willing to bet that a significant part of your story revolves around a problem or a pain and a prompting from the Lord. Those are ways that God speaks to us. What is that for you? For me, it was a combination of a relationship falling apart and a lot of pain through that. And then promptings from the Lord by seeing life change through others and, and different ministry opportunities that he gave me. And that is the, boy, the like most condensed snapshot ever because there's a ton more to it than that. And I'm sure it is for you as well. But what is it for you? Do you remember? Do you remember that moment? Are you maybe in that moment right now? You may be in the midst of that moment right now and you don't really realize it. Early in Paul's ministry, early in Paul's ministry, he was known as, as Saul still at this point, but he had, he had uh, you know, come around and he was part of, uh, part of what God was doing and he had been called into ministry, yet still being known as Saul. And we're told this, as we keep reading here in verse 25, it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem taking with them John, also called Mark. So this is just a few chapters, or a few verses later, I'm sorry, it's in the same chapter. And we see Mark essentially joins the team here. He joins the team, he's inspired by what he sees. You gotta imagine that he was inspired by what he saw, that what God was doing um, through all of that with um, you know, Peter uh, being released from prison and, and them praying and him being a part of that, that impacted him and it inspired him and he joins the team here and he jumps in and Mark is given this opportunity to be mentored by Paul and by Barnabas and to join their ministry. It's an awesome thing, but something happens along the way. Something happens along the way and we don't really know what it is because for some reason, Mark deserted his mentors. He just bailed on him. We don't really know why. And a while later, Barnabas, he wants to give Mark another chance. But we see Paul has a different opinion on, on what should happen here. As Luke writes in, uh, in Acts chapter 15, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. So we see this disagreement here and kind of a parting of ways. And, you know, one person thinking one, one person thinking another, and we see drama here within the church, which is really surprising, isn't it? I'm so glad that there's no drama anymore and that we don't have to deal with this kind of stuff anymore, and that doesn't happen. No, we're people, and as long as we're dealing with people, we're going to have 
some things happen and we're going to have some disagreements. But Paul basically considered Mark a failure in ministry at this point. He considers him a failure. And for whatever reason, we don't really know a whole lot about it. And people can be immature when they're young. People can be immature when they're older than young. People can just be immature. They can also very much mature from their stumblings. People can come along and can, and can grow and, and maybe come to a place where they're, they're proving to others that they're no longer this clueless version of themselves. People grow up. We can grow up. And I don't care what stage of life you're in, there's probably some aspect of you that still needs to grow up. I know there is of me. You know, there are some household names, people that you know, that were epic failures in their younger days. Um, epic failures early in their careers and early in their life. They didn't always make the right choices. Sometimes it was things that were done to them. Take a look at this video. Rejected by the USC Film School three times. Turned down by 27 different publishers. Called lazy and good for nothing by his own father. Parents and teachers worried he was mentally handicapped because he didn't speak until he was four and didn't read until he was seven. Failed to land a role when trying to break into film because the director said she was too ugly. After his first performance, he was told, you ain't going nowhere, son. You want to go back to driving a truck. Mostly ignored in her lifetime, only a few of her almost 1,800 completed works were ever published. He did poorly in school. He stuttered and spoke with a lisp, and his parents all but ignored him, regarding him as a disappointment, a boy of low intelligence. If you've never failed, you've never lived. You know, mistakes can mature us and failure can refine us. Mistakes can mature us and failure can refine us. And this can be true if we approach failure this way. So maybe asking yourself this, can I use this failure to get better and let the Lord grow me and sharpen me and refine me? Or do I let it turn me bitter? Which bitterness is poison. And in Mark, we see a young man, a young man who made mistakes, but later matured to be used by God. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, written by Paul years later, this is what Paul says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you 
because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And these are really like short little verses and little chunks of wisdom that are just thrown into the midst of scripture here. But trust was restored here between Mark and Paul. And yes, this story is about a young person, absolutely, but let's not limit young people physically to immaturity. Let's not limit it there because immaturity is not always equal to young people. I've had plenty of times, plenty of mistakes of immaturity in myself that caused me to fail and I was not a teenager. I was married and I have kids and all of that. I was certainly in this season of my life and you have too. Every generation has their issues, no doubt. But let's not forget that all of us can act like immature, whiny children. And yet, and yet, trust was restored and trust can be restored and the kingdom was better for it. Trust is earned, right? Trust is earned and, and must continually be, continually be worked on to be kept. But why? Why was the kingdom better for it? This is exactly why, because our past mistakes do not disqualify us to be used by God. Our past mistakes do not disqualify us to be, they may disqualify you in the eyes of others. Your past mistakes might disqualify you even in the eyes of yourself. But in the eyes of God, your past mistakes do not disqualify you to be used by him. Because if that was the case, you could write off nearly every giant of faith that we see in scripture and probably every giant of faith that's maybe in your life right now. Abraham, Noah, Jacob, Moses, David, Jonah, Peter, Paul, none of them would qualify. The list goes on. None of them would qualify. This is such, a, this is such an amazing and unique truth about our God who we serve. So let me ask you this. Does failure deflate you or does it drive you? Think about yourself for a minute. Does failure deflate you or does it drive you? It may deflate you in the moment, but ultimately, does it end up pushing you to the background? To kind of bring that all full circle here for a minute. Does or did failure in your life in the past, did that push you to the background and have you maybe stayed there out of comfort? Because sometimes we fail at something and then we retreat and we pull ourselves to the background and it feels comfortable because we're back there and we're not putting ourselves in a position where maybe we can fail again because we don't want to be hurt because we're scared of what might happen. And so we allow ourselves to stay in the background. I got to be honest, a lot of failure drove me to where God has me right now, without a doubt. I say it often that most of the stuff that I'm really good at I'm only good at it because I messed it up so many times and maybe had nobody to ask other than God how to figure out what to do. And I let that failure drive me to do things better. I'll give you one example, web design. I had no idea how to do web design. I was working for um, an agency at the time and one of our biggest clients, the guy that knew how to do web design, quit and left and in two weeks gave me a crash course in web design and I had no clue what I was doing. And one of our very biggest clients at the agency, I totally screwed up their website like bad because I didn't know what I was doing and I had nobody to ask how to figure it out. And I figured it out. Um, I had to. And you know what? 
there was definitely some times where I got down on myself and, and all of those things, and I still struggle with that to this day. I, get, I let things get to me too much at times, as we all do. But will we let that drive us to the Lord and help us to get better? Or are we going to let that deflate us and keep us in the background? Do we try to remember what God has done in the past and how he's used those times in our life and those aspects of our life that maybe feel like failure and he's actually refined us and put us back together and in a way that could have never happened without it? Because what God has done in the past, if we focus on that, if we pray through that and look at that to help us as we move forward in our future, through prayer and the truth of his word, we will see God's hand in the midst of all of it. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Not to us be the power. To him be the power forever and ever. And we are going to suffer. It's going to happen. We're going to go through times that's really tough. We're going to go through some suffering for a while. But if we're relying on the Lord, if we're leaning into him, he's going to restore us. He can restore us through that. God used so many failures to prepare me for the opportunities that were ahead of me. And I know that he's done that for you as well. I know that he's done that for you as well. And we need to acknowledge that fact. We need to just call it out, acknowledge that fact in ourselves. And we acknowledge that so that we can give grace to others. So that we can give grace to others in our life because that breeds humility. It breeds humility and that's something that we sorely need. And if we don't, we're going to end up being immature hypocrites and possibly even toxic to those around us. So will we let God mature us? Will we let him mature us and, and, and look for, for his handiwork in our life? Look for his work of, of maturing us and investing in others who may need some grace and some extra love and a push. We see that Mark, Barnabas invested in him and later Paul came around. He was given grace. He was given a second chance. He was given a, an opportunity to mature. And I'm so thankful that God is a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and 28th chances. And I know you are as, as well. See, God can use our failures to open new doors. God can use the failures in our life to open new doors that maybe wouldn't have been available any other way. Sometimes failure is a teacher. Sometimes failure can be the best teacher that God uses so that you can be more effective in your purpose. And we have to be willing to see that. As I mentioned the last two weeks, there, there's tons of opportunities to serve and find your purpose for the kingdom here at Connect Church. And maybe some of the reasons that you haven't stepped into those things yet are because of failures in the past. Maybe some failures in the past in your mind, you're thinking they've disqualified you. But if anything, maybe God's used those to open new doors. And this is just one of many ways that God can use us. I'm not saying it's just this, but this is an opportunity right here at your church to be a part of the dream team. You can go to connectchurch.xyz slash dream team, and you can find maybe where God is calling you to be a part of serving because part of our growing and maturing and being restored 
could actually come through serving others instead of looking to ourselves and looking to be selfish. Instead, we look at how we can serve others because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Whether it's the worship team, the tech team, the media team, kids, community missions, greeters, there's various opportunities throughout. Because being a part of the church community, it means that you move from being a passive spectator to an active participant. And maybe some failure in the past, maybe some failures that you feel like you're going through right now have pulled you back to just being a spectator, a passive spectator. And God might be calling you to to take that step into being an active participant because I'm telling you, it's a part that might be missing from your growth and from your discipleship. If you're not serving somewhere, that's an aspect of your growth and of being discipled and being a follower of Jesus. You just can't be fully discipled if you're not serving. And it's a part of your, your faith journey that, that may be missing. I can't encourage you enough to jump in. There are so many other doors as well. It doesn't, it doesn't have to just be this, but are you looking for opportunities to serve in the kingdom? Because life gives you three options, really, of what to do with the resources and the talents that God has given you. You can waste your life. You can totally waste it. You can just not even do anything with it. You can spend your life on the things that don't last. And we all are really good at that at times. We have to maybe sometimes take a step back and, and wonder, are, am I spending my life on something that really isn't going to last? Or we can invest our life. We can invest our life in the things that really matter and the things that are going to last for eternity. And God's plan is for us to invest our life. This is his plan, to invest my life in the things that matter the most. And prayer can help guide you through that and what that looks like for you. And it, and it might be from the background because as I've said, the body, we're all made up of different parts and you might be wired specifically to be a background person and that's awesome because background people are needed, absolutely. Those areas are just as important as any other areas. But people matter most to God. People matter the most. And so people should matter the most to us. And so we should be praying continually for God to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine as we invest in what matters the most. When you think of the word invest, to define it, invest means to devote oneself, energy, finances, or resources to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Tell me, what is more worthwhile than changing someone's life for eternity and investing in that? That is what matters most to God. So the connection point for the day, which is the same it's been for the last couple of weeks because it just still applies, is that you, yes, you, can be used by God. Even if you're a background person and you think that just because you're a background person that, that you can't be used, good grief, that could not be further from the truth. When you think about Mark and you think about his, use, his, his youthful mistakes, he wasn't useless because he made some mistakes in the past. John Mark was actually used by God to write a gospel that has made such an impact, more than he could ever probably imagine, more than he ever thought it would be. He served. He served other people and he did it from the background. He served other leaders and eventually he grew 
to lead the early church. He became a leader in the early church and it started from just a simple, quiet moment where he saw God do something amazing and instead of sitting in the background, he took a step out. He still kind of remained a background person even through that, but he, helped, he allowed God to use him and he served. And he learned from his mistakes. He made some mistakes as we all do. But let me ask you this, what could God do with you? What could God do with you? Will you bow your heads with me? Whether you're here or watching online, I have to ask again, as, as you think and pray and contemplate maybe what the Holy Spirit has been saying to you over the last little while here, what could God do with you? If you've disqualified yourself because of past mistakes, if you've said, oh, I'm just a background person, I'm not that important. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. But maybe it starts with giving your life to Jesus. Because if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're never really gonna get to see what he's gonna do with you. And what maybe these failures that you're going through or have gone through can really do and what he can do with them. We fail. We all fail. We're going to continue to fail. But are we going to learn from that? Are we going to let Jesus work through that and grow us and mature us to continually be used? You may be in a really tough spot right now. You may be in the midst of maybe God trying to speak to you through problems and pain. Listen to his promptings. Because if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy towards us. I thank you that our failures don't disqualify us from being used. I thank you that you want to use us regardless of where maybe our position might be, at least in our own minds, in the kingdom. Lord, the background people, if you will, are just as important because we're a body, we're a family, we're a team. And every position is important. And so, Lord, I pray, God, if there's someone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that, that your spirit would, would speak to them and talk to them, Lord, because that's, that's the place to get started, to, to move past our failures and to run toward you, Jesus. If they're watching online, Lord, they haven't given their life to you, God, I pray that today would be the day that, that they would do that. They could just comment in the chat. Maybe, maybe someone just needs prayer. Lord, I pray that nothing would stand in the way of someone being able to reach out and take a next step for you. Jesus, I pray all of us would take this to heart and look at where you've used the failures of our past to prompt us to do things for your kingdom moving forward. Lord, inspire us and use us to connect people more to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.